0: Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. We're excited to have you join our new series, Choked. This series is about how life events choke us from God's own heart and what we must do to overcome those events. While you are here, be sure to click subscribe and invite your friends to listen. Here's the message from Pastor Brian. Um, I struggle with comparison. I feel like nothing that I say or do can measure up to anyone else, I spend the majority of my day comparing myself to the best version of everyone on social media. And when I do, I'm choked. Glad you're here with us today as we receive what God has for us. Amen. As we, with the best of our abilities, seek to open our hearts, to be free from any distractions, to not be choked, but to truly receive what the Lord Jesus has for us. Amen. 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 It's going to be an exciting week for our family. Um, A week from now, Taylor and Nick will have been married. So, yeah. So... We would like to extend our invitation to you to come to the wedding this coming Saturday night right here, 6 p.m. Uh, we're looking forward to celebrating what God has done and bringing them together at this time and for His purposes. Amen? So come come join us. It's going to be fun. We're going we're gonna to cry a little and laugh a little and celebrate a lot and, uh, and have a good time. So come join us. So... Um, my mom was an avid gardener. She loved to make her yard beautiful, and she did. And when we lived in Oak Cliff, and um, I was home for the summer. I was her, her gardening servant, <laughs> and uh, she would make a list of things for me to do. And um, I'm talking about back in the day before there were weed eaters, you know? And so uh, the way that you weed-eated for all you young people... Back in the day, before there were weed eaters, was with a little hatchet on your knees, beside the driveway, chopping the grass one inch away from the side of the driveway. Anybody else join me in that? Am I ever done that? Okay, thank you. I'm not alone. That's what you did before you had weed eaters. Man. Man. And so we also had a lot of English ivy in our yard, and my mom wanted to be creative with that as well. And so it grew on a tree that was by our back porch. So if this was the back door, there was a porch, and there was a tree that had English ivy growing up. I'm not sure where my mom got the idea. This was long before there was anything called Pinterest. But she saw it somewhere, and she had this idea. She said... To my dad, Ben, why don't you take some wires or cables and run them from that tree over here to the edge of the patio, the roof, and I'm gonna get that English ivy to run up all across here and it's gonna cover the patio. Well, it's pretty creative. So he did, and she did through me, right? So, summertime, I'm off, I'm at home. It's my duty to water everywhere and to train those vines to come across those lines. And so every day it was going out and securing them on there. They would try to get off past some, but we ran them across there until they covered that entire patio. It was a crazy thing. I thought, like, wow, English ivy. Who knew? So we moved here to Ovilla. Heather and I have a house here. And in the backyard, English ivy. Oh, <laughs> huh, awesome. So I think, you know, well, you know, it worked out for my mom. I'm just gonna let that stuff grow wherever it wants. (laughs) Covered up some nice parts of the yard. Yeah, you know what happens next. If you don't watch it, English ivy will take over. In some places in my yard, that was a good thing. I didn't wanna mow all of it, you know, and there were some spots where the grass was kinda thin anyway. I thought, eh, just let it cover it. And boy, did it. And it covered a lot of the yard. The thing about English ivy, it grows this way, but if it ever gets a hold of something like this, it goes zoop, straight. I don't know how it does it, but it goes straight up a brick wall. It'll go straight up a fence. It'll, it'll go up and it'll grab and it'll just make its way up. So in our backyard are trees. I thought, well, work before, let it happen again. And time passes. We're raising our kids. I'm not all that interested in the backyard anymore. I'm more concerned what's going on inside the house. And soon that English ivy has just swallowed up some trees in our yard. I mean, it's, you know, 6 foot, 8 foot, 10 foot, 15 foot, 20 foot. It's way up there and it's branching out. It's taking over. And soon I noticed there's no more vegetation on that tree. It truly has choked the life out of that tree. It went straight up and it began to take over. And soon that tree had very little left of it because the vines had choked it out. Some of those trees we've lost. Some of those we had to go in and do some major repair and surgery on and to find that when I pulled those vines away or the leaves away from the vines on that tree, some of them were that big around. Some of the English ivy branch, they had, I mean, really grown. It was tough getting them off of there. I'm like with a chainsaw cutting vines. It's crazy. And then pulling them off and they have attached themselves to it. English ivy is beautiful but it can be very destructive if left unmaintained and unmanaged. Jesus said in the story we looked at last week that uh, he is like a sower who goes out to sow. He has in his bag, he has in his treasure, his treasury seed. It's his word and he sows it. He intends to plant it and the soil are the hearts of people. He plants that seed in us. And he told the story about the different types of soil. There's a parable there. You can find it in Mark chapter 4. And Jesus said, one of the soils there, the seed went down into the soil. The seed began to grow, but it could not continue to grow. It could not produce a harvest. It could not get to the fruitfulness that it was intended to have because there were thorns and vines that choked out the life. And he goes on to say that those, those vines, those thorns are the cares of this world where we get distracted by what's here. And we begin to think those things are worthy of our attention, that those things possess greater strength, that those things are where power is. And we become deceived and we choke out the life that comes from the one alone, Who is worthy. Amen. So in our series Choked, we're looking at some of the things that the Bible says can choke out the life that he intends all of us to have in him. To choke out the very promises, truths, and blessings that you and I as his children were meant to experience. You and I were designed to have flowing from us love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit, the Bible says, of his presence in us. That should be flowing from us. You might say, well, I feel like I'm just sometimes trying to squeeze that stuff out of my life. It's not flowing. (laughs) I hear you. But it might be that we're having to squeeze it out because it's being choked out by some other things. May we weed out the bed of stuff that would keep God's word from having its premier place to keep his truth premier, alone, and unchoked in our hearts. Amen? So today we're looking at a very specific weed that can get into our heart, a vine that chokes out the truths and promises of God, and that is the weeding out of comparison. You know, comparison is one of those things that uh, it seems like in our day, it has become uh, much more volatile. And some people attribute the internet, social media to that. I don't know that those things create it as much as it just exposes what's already there. All of a sudden now, we have at our fingertips and phone tips the ability to compare and see the lives of people around the world in just a moment. You can see what their houses look like, their cars look like, their lives look like, or you can actually just see what a snapshot in their best moments look like. Hello? That's really what social media is. That's really what Instagram is. That's really what uh, you know, Twitter and Facebook, all that stuff. Hey, I use them, so I recognize there are potential dangers in all of them. I'm not dashing it because it is a powerful tool when you know how to use it for the gospel's sake. But I will say this. It has the potential to give you a wrong perspective of life. You can look at someone else's Instagram and think, wow, they are just so blessed. Look at all that they have. Wow, they never have any problems. Look at that food they're eating. Look at that car they drive. Look at their house. Man, it's always clean. You know, you just see all this stuff, and inwardly, you're like, my life never looks like that. Theirs doesn't either. They staged that moment. Hello? How many people have ever staged your meal to take a picture of it? Come on now, honestly. Thank you. How many of you have staged your family to take a picture of them? That's all of us. Come on, right? How many of you have ever staged yourself for that perfect selfie? Uh, No, no, no. (laughs) Who? Come on. Thank you. You see, it's staged. It's not all the story. There's a whole lot more to it. And what usually happens is we are in our weak moment, our struggle moment, our defeated moment, and we start scrolling and we think, my life's not like that. (laughs) Because we're comparing our low moment with their staged moment, right? It's not even all real. Now, I enjoy looking at some stuff on Instagram. I enjoy looking at some people's food that they're eating. I follow some, you know, some barbecue pages, and I enjoy looking at some, you know, some, some ribs that have been perfectly cooked. I don't want to see someone's rib mess up. I want to see the real deal. I want to see, you know, brisket that's cooked right. I want to see it with the smoke ring around. I want to see the sauce just perfectly. I want to see that. I don't want to see your burnt barbecue up on Instagram. I get it, but don't expect your life always to look like someone else's highlight reel. Right? That's not what it was intended for in looking at someone else's life. But comparison does that. And the minute you look at someone else's social media, the minute you look at someone else's social life, the minute you drive by their house, the minute you see their car, the minute you see their marriage, you see their kids, and you think to yourself, Wow, I don't have anything like that. The minute you do that, the vine begins to grow. And it will take over and consume your heart if you allow it. Comparison is dangerous. Now the Bible gives us some honest looks at life. And there is a story. There are actually more stories than one, but we're going to look at one today. a story of some men Believe it or not, it's some men who struggled with comparison. Turn to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 21. So it's New Testament. Uh, It's at the end of the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll find it there and turn to the end of that book. If you've got your Bible app, you've got your cellular device, whatever you've got, turn there, John chapter 21. Let me set the scene here for us because the Bible gives us the real look at real people These are not made up stories. These are real people who lived and it tells us the real story of their joys and their struggles. The times when they walked with Jesus and the times when they sometimes walked away from Jesus. Sometimes when they got to experience blessing and sometimes when they went through some very difficult pain. So at the end of the Gospel of John, it is after Jesus has been crucified, it is after he has been resurrected, it's before he has returned back to heaven. So he's here on earth in his resurrected body, and he's spending time with the disciples and many other people. Historical accounts prove that Jesus did walk on the earth after his resurrection, this is not fairy tale. This is not made up. This is accurate truth from the Bible, and history affirms that. The disciples are now 11 men. Judas has taken his own life. These 11 are following Jesus. They're a little confused about life now on the other side of the resurrection and what's ahead. But in this group, if you follow them, you find that there were, even among the 11, there were some who seemed to be able to spend more time with Jesus. And so out of the 11, there are three that spent perhaps the most time with him. Peter, James, and John. And we know from scripture that even among those three and the others, there was sometimes a little bit of comparison. A little bit of jealousy. A little bit of, no, oh, I want to sit next to him. No, you sit next to him. Last night. I'm going to sit next to him. I wonder who's going to sit with him in the kingdom. All that kind of stuff going on, all right, within the group. Peter and John seem to be the ones who maybe vied for that attention the most. Who really wanted to be up close. And I'm sure there were times because Peter was this outspoken, loud, you know, brash, not always thinking. When he did think it was after he'd already said something, he was completely different than John who was typically a bit more reserved, typically a bit more uh, affectionate, a a bit more warm, a bit more caring, a bit more sensing, opposite personalities. I'm sure at times they loved each other. I'm sure at other times they're like, I can't stand that guy. And so John writes one of these Gospels that we have, and I'm sure there's something written in here that from time to time just made Peter just cringe. It's when John would refer to himself in his own writings. John would say, The disciple whom Jesus loved, and he would write. And I'm sure Peter was like, mm, Why do you have to say that, dude? Really? I mean, he loved me too. And John just kept on writing. The disciple whom Jesus loved. So we get to this setting. It's a a passage we covered in our last series, Real Life, where the disciples are a little confused about what's ahead. They're out fishing. They don't catch anything. Jesus shows up and says, hey, fish from the other side of the boat. And they do, and they catch fish. And as soon as they realize that this man who's standing on the shore is actually Jesus, that Peter jumps out of the boat to try to get there as fast as he can. It might have been because he wanted to beat John there. I don't know. But he's rushing back to shore, and he gets there, and they have a conversation. Jesus prepares a meal, and they have a conversation there, and they're all together, but then the conversation turns, and the conversation turns to just Jesus and Peter. John somehow knows it, hears it, and he records it for us. This is where we begin today in verse 18. And it says here, this is Jesus talking to Peter. He says, most assuredly, I say to you that when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Now, seems poetic, seems a bit vague, but what's happening here is Jesus is telling Peter what's going to happen next in his life. You ever had one of those moments where you said, "God, if you'd just show me what's coming next"? All right, Peter, here you go. Here's what's going to happen to you, Peter. And Jesus says, "You know, when you were younger, you were free, and you got to go where you wanted, do what you want. You dressed yourself, cared for yourself, and went where you want." Peter, I'm telling you that in the future, I look into your future. And I know what the Father has for you, and Peter, it may not be what you expect. Peter, when you are older, you're going to stretch out your hands, and another will gird you. In other words, someone else is going to dress you and clothe you. And Peter, they're going to carry you where you do not wish. You're going to be in a situation, Peter. I'm not giving you all the details, but Peter, it's going to be painful, You're going to go somewhere against your will. You're going to do things differently than what you would want. Mm. That's a painful way to figure out about your future and what God has for you next. And Jesus is giving Peter the next steps. And he goes on in verse 19 and he says, This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. In other words, Jesus was telling Peter, Peter, this is how you are going to glorify the Father the most. By going through a period in your life where you suffer and end up by losing your will in the matter. And in this, you will glorify the Father. That's not the kind of self-help message you might have thought you'd get from Jesus but this is what he gives Peter. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, what's ahead is gonna be difficult. Peter, what's ahead is gonna be trying to you. It's gonna go against your will. But Peter, what happens next is gonna glorify God in such a way that you can't imagine it. So for that reason, Peter, follow me. Step for step line for line, thought for thought, Peter, follow me. You would hope at this moment that Peter would be dialed in, humbled, a little mixture of sadness, but with faith and trust. But the passage goes on in verse 20. It says, Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, (laughs) following. So you get this feel that they're, they're moving, they're progressing and they're Jesus and Peter having this conversation and all of a sudden Peter turns and he looks around and who does he look at? John. The yeah. disciple whom Jesus loved. And if that wasn't enough, Peter just, I mean, uh, John just kept going. Look what it says here. Uh, whom Jesus loved following, who also had said, or who also had leaned on his breast at the supper, referring to the last supper, This wasn't only the one who Jesus loved, but it was also the one who was sitting next to Jesus, who was leaning over on his chest, and the one who said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? It's like Peter, I mean, John's just getting in all he can here. I'm the one he loves. I'm the one closest to him. I'm the one that had some inkling of the idea that Judas is going to do this. Who is it? mm, John, really, you're just rubbing an in here. Verse 21, Peter, seeing him, seeing him, John, he said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? (laughs) Right? You get it? Peter's thinking, I got to go through suffering, go where I don't want to go, do what I don't want to do, lose my own will in the matter, not be able to even care, guide, lead myself. This is what you have for me. What about him, that guy, the one who just thinks he's all that, the one whom Jesus loved, you know? What about him? And in that moment, Peter was dealing with what we're talking about today, because Peter in that moment wanted to compare his life with John's. I want to know if what I've got to go through it is worth it by looking and knowing what he's going to go through. Then I'll decide if it's worth it. How many times have you ever thought, in what i going through, is it worth it? What is it? What's going to happen next? And you look to someone else that you know to see if it's worth it. Mm. It's tempting, isn't it? Yeah. To just look around to just compare, to just compare families, to just compare your marriage, to just compare the kids, to just compare your job, to just compare the amount of money you've got, to compare the car you drive, to compare the neighborhood you live in, to compare your accomplishments, to compare social media, to look around at all of it to see, is what I'm going through, is it worth it, and is it really even right? That is what Peter was dealing with right here. I told you scripture deals with some very real stuff. It's dangerous to compare yourself. It's dangerous to look at what God has for you and measure it by other people. That was never his design. You see, when you compare what you've got with someone else's life, marriage, family, kids, house, car, job, money, social media, whatever it is. The minute you do that, you're running into some troubles. One of them is this. You are comparing yourself to an incomplete picture. You're not seeing the whole story, You may see a picture of them as a family. You may hear a few things about them, but you don't know what goes on behind closed doors. You don't know what goes on after everyone else has left and the cameras on the phones have been shut off. You don't know what happens in those situations. But I promise you this, God is faithful to bring into every person's life enough rain and enough sunshine to test them and shape them into the very image of Jesus, his son. That's his goal. And so to ever stop and look at someone else's successes, glorious, faked, made up, staged picture and compare your life to that. You're missing it. You're comparing your struggle to their stage and you're seeing an incomplete picture. Another reason it's so dangerous is that the minute you compare yourself to someone, you make what should be a friend into a competition. You make them all of a sudden someone that you're measuring yourself by. And in that moment, you lose the ability to truly care for them because you're all wrapped up in trying to compete with them. And who are, you gonna, who are you gonna care for if you're trying to compete with them? You won't. You'll actually inwardly feel a little bit better about your own life whenever you find out that they aren't all that. You're like, hmm, well, <laughs> I feel better then knowing they go through all that stuff to, what? You're rejoicing in their downfall? Really? You see what happens to us? It really takes our heart to a dark place. When you make someone else the measure, you turn them from someone that you could care for into someone that you've got to compete with. And comparison also takes you on a pretty dangerous roller coaster because comparison works really in two ways. Sometimes... You compare yourself to somebody and you feel worse about your life. You feel inferior. You feel like, well, I don't have that stuff and I don't have what they have and man, I wish I had their story. I wish I had their life. I wish I had their appearance. I wish I had their car. I wish I had their house. I wish I had their job, all that. And you end up feeling worse about your life. But comparison works another way too. Comparison also works because that same root is at play. It'll cause you not only to look at those who have more than you, it'll cause you to look at those who have less than you. And you'll end up feeling pretty good about yourself. You'll feel superior instead of inferior, and you'll ride the top part of that roller coaster. And whether you're at the top feeling superior, or if you're at the bottom feeling inferior, both of those lead you to a deadly place. To miss the very thing that God has for you. Don't. Let your comparison take you to the place of feeling inferior or superior. Comparison will steal your joy. It will steal every amount of peace that you've got. It'll steal every sense of security that you have. It'll steal every sense of trust you have in God because you will all of a sudden set your mind in this place of defeat, discouragement, and the I don't haves, it'll rob you of your joy. Perhaps the most dangerous thing about comparison, however, is this. Comparison makes you miss the grace that God has for you. So stay with me on this for just a moment. There are some people I know you know them, who seem to just have blessing when it comes to possessions and money, right? You don't have to raise your hand or nod, but you know some people like that. You may even be that one who it just, it just seems that that stuff comes easy for you. You go to work, you get a promotion. You work some more, you get another promotion. Pretty soon, you're just... You got more money you know what to do with. And you're just, you know, spending it and everything's that's, that's not the biggest struggle in your life. There are other people who work and they work hard. And it seems that the harder they work, the less money they've got. They get demoted. They lose their job. Situations don't go well. And we don't have any apparent explanation for it sometimes. There are some people who have blessing in their family, it, come, it has come through time, perseverance, and generations of faithfulness. There are other people in their life, they're new into the faith, they're new into resolving relationships according to the scripture, and they've got struggles. I mean, the family doesn't even wanna get together because they can't get along when they do get together. It's the way it is. Some people's families have this easy get along. Other people, there's difficulty. Some people seem happy without trying. Other people seem to struggle at just having one good day. Some people get to live 90 years. Some people only get to live 50. Some 20. Some five. Some don't even get a chance to see the light of day because they were aborted. If you stop and look at it, you have to think, where is the fairness in this? And there's not. Because God never promised fairness to any of us when it comes to this life. He has a course for you. You have a course that has been handed to you. You have the parents, you have, stay with me here, you have the parents that you have by God's design. You have the grandparents and great, par- great grandparents that you have by God's design. It's not accidental, it's not evolutionary, it's not just by chance. It is by God's design. He knows the number of your days. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows the details of your life, knew them before you were born, will know them after you die. He knows them all. They have been uniquely, sovereignly, wisely chosen by him. The past that you have, with its failures, God has a purpose for those, your weaknesses that you deal with every day now. God has a purpose for those. The income that you have, the personality that you have, the appearance that you have, the length of life that you'll have, all of those are uniquely crafted, chosen by God. That's why it is so critical that you and I hold to the foundational truth that in the beginning, God created. He didn't let it evolve, He created with design and intent, and that design and intent involved you. And He has grace for you in your life with its unique struggles, heritage, grandparents, great-grandparents, parents, your past, your weaknesses, your struggles, your failings, your past sin. He has a plan and purpose for all of that. His grace is made to fit the space of your life. It's for all who come to him, but I... I just want to drive home this point. It has been uniquely crafted for you in your life. And so I would be making a mistake if I were to say about Brad, wow. I wish I had Brad's personality. I wish I had Brad's drive. I wish I had some of the things that Brad has. How come I can't have those things? Because God wants to show himself strong in my weaknesses, not in me trying to pretend like I'm Brad. Amen? And so if you keep denying that you have weaknesses, if you keep ignoring the fact that you do, and you keep trying to pretend you're somebody else, and you keep comparing yourself with someone else, you are missing the grace that was meant for you in your life. You're missing out. Because his strength is made perfect in your what? Weakness. Weakness. Yes. And if I'm comparing myself then I'm not admitting I've got the weakness and need him for it. I'm admitting I've got it, but I keep trying to get it from being somebody else. And you're just compounding your weakness instead of turning it into sickness. (laughs) It's true. It is in this process, the vertical, that grace comes. And comparison will drive you far away from it. Mm. When you compare yourself, you make someone else Lord. You're trying to be them, look like them, talk like them, get what they've got. And Jesus says, hello, that's my role. You look at me. You become like me. You allow the Father to shape you like me, not like them. You have your weakness so that my strength can be shown in you. When you compare, you not only make them Lord, here's the worst part, you make yourself Lord. I will decide. I will decide what my life will be. And I think it ought to be like that. I don't like my life, I want that. I don't like this Jesus, I want that. And I'm gonna go that way. And you make yourself Lord. So into this situation, Jesus talks to Peter and Peter's doing all that we just said with John. All the same thoughts are spinning through Peter's mind regarding John. Verse 22, it says that Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Like, ooh, did you have to say that out loud, Jesus? Did you just have to do that? Call me out in the moment? And Jesus says, look, Peter, Peter, If I were to choose for John to just stay alive until the day I return, whenever that is, if I decide that's what I'm going to do, what does it matter to you? In other words, it's none of your business what I do in them. You, Peter, here it is, follow me. Don't follow them. It's interesting on Instagram and Facebook that you become followers. <laughs> Hello? Be careful. Who you follow, look at this. Who you follow is what you'll become. And Jesus says, Peter, don't look at John. He has a, he has a, a course set out for him. I'm not going to tell you what his course is. And he didn't. He just said, Peter, you, your responsibility alone is to follow me. And that's it. That's all. He didn't give him seven more points. He just said, here it is. Follow me. What a message in our day. For us individually, for us as couples to not compare our marriage to someone else's to not compare how they communicate how they resolve issues how they seem to act in public how they are that's not our role Jesus says Peter and he says to us couples follow me I will do what I will in your life Peter, I have a race for you to run. John has a different race. I'm not telling you what his race is. It's none of your business. Follow me. I love what happens in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 12, it gives this, uh, this metaphor of the, of the idea of running a race. It's this kind of Olympic style setting. And you get this picture like we might think of the Olympics where people have come to compete. They're going to run some races. There's many people down in the infield. And there's a lot of people in the stands. And they're watching and they're cheering. And the runners have prepared. And they're ready to run. Hebrews 12 says this in verse 1. He says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, in other words, you and I as followers of Jesus Christ, we have people who are watching our lives and the way the context here is, they're not alive at this point. They've already gone home to be with the Lord, but they are watching from the grandstands of heaven, which in another conversation we'll have one day, it's not there, it's here. We'll do that one day. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. He says, Because of that, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and the vine that so easily trips you up, and the struggle that seems to get wrapped around your legs, and that comparison that seems to drag you down. That's what he's saying. He says this, and let us run with endurance, in other words, staying with it when you get tired, when you're struggling, when you're weak, when you're looking over at somebody else, when you see the finish line, you're not there yet, when you think how far you've been, but you know how far you have to go yet, and you keep on going, you keep pressing through the pain, you keep pushing on past what's happening, you keep going, you keep enduring. He says, In, with endurance, run the race that is set before us. It's a very unique wording here, very specific wording. That means you... Have a unique race that has been set before you it 's a race that depends upon Jesus in your heart, but the way and how that race is run is going to be a little different than the person who's running next to you. Every one of us in here can only run this race with Jesus inside us. The spirit of God indwelling us. The word of God guiding us. It's the only way. There's only one way to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. But I will say this. My race, my path, my course is not the same as Brad's. Not the same as Jerry's. Not the same as David's. Every one of us have a unique course and path. Each one of us, four that I mentioned, we have a different past. We have a different heritage handed to us. We have different weaknesses. We have different struggles. And his grace is made for my race alone. Amen. Yes. Was- Not mine looking at Brad's. Brad has grace for the course set out for him. Amen. And he gets it by receiving it into his weaknesses. Yes. He's not to look over at me while we're running, unless he wants to look over and say, You're doing good, Brian, keep going. Then look over at me for that, please. But if you're going to look over at me, don't say, I wish I could run like him. I wish I had that stride. I wish I had that speed. I wish I had that endurance. Because the minute you do that, you'll lose every bit of endurance and speed and strength and focus that you were meant to have through God's grace. Don't look at someone else's marriage. Don't look at someone else's family. Don't look at someone else's income. Don't look at someone else's possessions. There's a weird thing that happens when you start looking at stuff and you get the cares of this world like weeds growing like English about ivy in your heart. It does something weird to you. You start losing your focus. You start thinking about work all the time. You start staying at work all the time. You come home and you're still at work. You can't relax. You can't enjoy time with the family you can't shut it off, you're frustrated, you're irritated, because you're so busy comparing yourself with somebody else that you won't let the engine get into park and be shut off. That's what comparison will do to you. It'll make you overwork. It'll make you buy stuff you should have never bought to begin with. It'll make you subscribe to stuff you have no business subscribing to. It'll make you get some credit cards you had no business getting. It'll make you go into some debt that you had no business getting. And today, you're maxed out, stressed out, overworked, frustrated, can't pay the bills, gotta think about working more. You're still trying to keep up. You got some person in mind you're trying to measure yourself by. You're trying to get it all done, and it's not happening And when it comes down to the end of the day, the thing that you let suffer is your walk with God. Because you say, I just can't go to church today. I'm just too tired. I've been working all week long. I just can't get involved in ministry because I don't have enough energy. I don't have time to spend with God. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to pray. I just don't ever seem to get it. Do you see what happens? You push all that stuff aside because you think all of that's more important Than what God has to give you out of the riches of his inheritance, seeds sown into your heart, the true riches of life. That is what comparison will do to you. Don't look at somebody else's talents either. It's crazy. Pinterest, love Pinterest. Got a lot of great ideas out there. But sometimes you may look at that stuff and think, Well, I'm not that talented, that's for sure. I sure couldn't make any of that stuff. I could never cook like that, build like that, paint like that, draw like that, yard work like that, garden like that, and all that stuff. You're just comparing yourself with what they got and what you don't have. You end up frustrated, and what you end up doing is just like, click, click. You end up doing nothing because you compared yourself with somebody else who's doing something. God has gifted every one of us with His spirit to begin with, and in, intends for us to use it for His glory. So no, you may not be able to do woodwork, like Jim right over here. You may not be able to paint like Linda Biggerstaff. But you have a talent you were meant to use. It might be with relationship building. It might be with counseling. It might be with some other unique talent, but if you've cast off the idea that it has to be one of these four or five and you don't have it, so therefore you're out, you'll never discover what it is that you've got. You were intended to know what that is, walk in that, and let it be the joy of God's spirit flowing through you, being a blessing to someone else. And don't look at the faith that someone else has in comparison. Paul said in the book of Romans, listen to this carefully. He said, for I say to you through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You have available for you faith for the circumstances you're going through. God doesn't give you faith so that you can be like someone else. God doesn't give you faith so that you can compare yourself to someone else. You were intended to have faith in the very specific areas of your life where there even is weakness. Hmm. 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 Hebrews goes on, we'll wrap up here. He says what we should be doing is looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne on high. We are to be looking unto Jesus. That's where our eyes are to be set. He's the one who began it in us. He's the one who'll finish it in us. He is the one who is completing and doing the work in us. He is the one who modeled it for us. You see, it would have been easy for Jesus to even compare himself to some other people. Jesus grew up very humble and poor, did you know that? He didn't grow up in a wealthy home. Jesus could have said, I wish I could have grown up like old Moses, man, in Pharaoh's palace, wow. We had nothing in our home, I had to make furniture for my dad. Jesus could have said, man, you know, it would have been nice to have some of the, uh, you know, popularity like Solomon. But, uh, you know, me, he said, I was, uh, every time I'd preach, I'd get a crowd. Then pretty soon they were all turning against me. That's what Jesus had. Jesus didn't have the popularity that others had. Jesus would be the one who'd have false accusation lodged against him. He'd be the one who'd be arrested for something he hadn't done. He'd be the one who'd be beaten mercilessly. He'd be the one who'd have to go to the cross when he had done nothing wrong. And at no point do you ever hear of Jesus on the cross saying, this is not fair. How come I can't be like David? How come I can't be like Moses, Joseph, Isaiah? He ran his race. And for the joy that was set before him in his lane, he was able to endure the cross, despising the shame, and able to sit down at the right hand of the Father and give it a name which is above every name, that at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, because he ran his race. You have a race that God has uniquely crafted for you. Quickly this morning, God has perfect grace for you. It's grace intended to fill you with strength, fill you with life, fill you with hope. It's designed uniquely for you. His grace is for your race, the course you're to run, your path, whatever has been in it and whatever is in it. Don't look at someone else and think, man, I wish I had what they have. I wish I didn't have the past that I have. If I didn't have that, maybe I. No, your past has been chosen for you. Find grace in it now. His grace is for your race, His grace is for your pace. Don't look at someone else who's further down the lane and say, wow, I wish I would they have. No, God has a pace you're to run at. Accept his grace in it where you are right now. Live your life unique, following him, trusting him, because grace comes through looking at his face. It's interesting how God has designed us with a face, and with eyes. Come stand with me, Brad, just a minute, Brad. If I wanna know Brad, I can know Brad through his posture, I can know Brad through some history about him, but if I really wanna know Brad, what I have to do is just look square in his eyes because I can tell a whole lot about Brad without having to know a whole lot about Brad. Despise eyes that's how you know somebody isn't it you look into their eyes and if you've ever been in those awkward moments where you just feel like I don't feel very good about myself or I feel awkward yeah, insecure was- then the last thing you want to do is look up in someone's eyes but Jesus says here's what I've got for you and me look into my face don't look at my hands to see why aren't you doing more don't look at my feet to see why aren't i not moving faster. Don't look at my arms to see why I'm not stronger in your life. Look at my face. Jesus says, look into my eyes. I want you to look in my eyes. I want you to see my heart because that's where you see the heart of Jesus. And this is what he invites us to. If I look into the eyes of Jesus, then I'm not going to look at what somebody else has, what somebody else is doing, what somebody else has that I don't, but I will look square at Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brad. Would you bow your heads with me, Father? This morning, you have uh, you've challenged us, you've called us away from glancing at others, from staring at others' lives, what they've done, what they've got, and to look full into your wonderful face and to see that there you have love for us, grace for us, hope for us, strength for us, the ability to live godly in this present age, The ability to have peace comes through looking at your eyes. So this morning, we come as a church to do that, to look only at you, to turn away from everything else this world offers, to turn away from everything that the enemy tries to whisper to us, to turn away even from what we try to perceive in our our own minds as what's most important. And to see you alone as the one who has all glory and wisdom and power and strength. We come to look at you. I thank you that because of the cross we can look up. I thank you that because of hope we can look ahead. But I thank you that because of love we can look right into your eyes. Forgive us for comparing ourselves. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. What an incredible message from Pastor Brian. Today we learned how to remove the weed of comparison and hear the heart of God. While you're here, click subscribe in the bottom corner and we'll see you next week live at 10:30.